Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. And uh, on your app and all that stuff. Well, we're going to make a quick transition here. And the reason we're doing this is because we actually want to go back and do it, sing a song at the end. And what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series talking about, uh, talking about Made for This. Come on, how many say this has been a great series? It's always a little dangerous to do that, but come on, this has been a, we're like, uh, I've just heard a lot of feedback from people saying this has been a great time uh, studying about the idea of why I was made. We all go on these quests in our life to figure out what is the purpose of my life? Why am I on this planet? Have you ever been somewhere, maybe at Disneyland, and you try to figure out why did they choose to do the lines this way? And why, why did they choose to do this that way? And then you find out that they spent months and months and months of planning and consideration on how to get people in the, in the lines at the right time in the right amount. Of, it doesn't feel that way. But you look at this and you realize, oh my gosh, I understand now why they do what they do. Now, waiting in line for three hours seems okay. <laughs> you realize, oh, I get it now. Now I understand why I have to stand here. I should have come early, four weeks earlier, and gotten a, uh, a fast pass, right, James? He's going to Disneyland here in a couple weeks. And, uh, you know, I should have gotten got a fast pass. Or, you know, we, we, we have all these different things in our world that have a purpose behind them. And sometimes we do them without even realizing what we're doing. Sometimes, either a person comes to church and you raise your hand in church, you say, why are we doing this? Or sometimes you don't raise your hand in church and you say, why aren't I doing that? Or all these different things we do in church and all these different things we do in our lives and all these different things that we do in our, in our world. And we want to help you understand the why behind what we do. Because if you can understand that you were made as a creation, God created you, you were made for worship, and until you focus that worship in the way that God wants it to be focused, you and I will never fulfill the purpose of God for our lives. You were created to worship, and you can live a life of worship unto God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about why. We're talking about worship, and we're going to talk about praise today. Now, before you get your phone out to go to Instagram and think, okay, I'm checking out. <laughs> we're going to talk about worship and praise today. You might say, Ryan, I don't really like the worship part. I just like coming for the message. Or maybe it's the opposite. You say, man, I love being in the worship environment. I love being there, but I don't really know why we do what we do today. We're going to talk about the difference between worship and praise. And it's very important you understand something about these two things. And James is going to take the first part. He's going to talk about worship. But by the end of our time together, I believe you will have a very clear understanding of what the, the realities of worship is and why we praise like we just did. And if you can hang out with us until the end. We're going to end on a, a story from the Bible that I think will, will show you and reveal to you exactly what we're teaching, and then we're going to respond in worship. Amen? Amen? Come on, let's just welcome James as he comes and brings the word this morning. First Sunday on staff. Can I get a whoop whoop? <laughs> oh, what an honor it is to be serving you guys in this capacity. I'm going to get a little bit emotional here. I don't know why, but the take on this is going to be worship. Um, so I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes uh, we, we tend to use worship, the words worship and praise synonymously with each other. All right, that's totally okay. Generally, that's fine, but biblically speaking, there's actually a difference between the two. It's a little bit higher. There's a, there's a difference between praise and worship. All right? Can somebody say that to your neighbor? Say, there's a difference between praise and worship. All right? So we're going to go on. We're going to go with worship right now. Worship, worship is a response to God. 
Say that to your neighbor again. Worship is a response to God. All right? Worship, I'm going to give you three points here. The first point, worship is a response to a revelation of God. In Ephesians 1, verse 17, it says, Keep asking, I keep asking that the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That spirit of wisdom and revelation right there, that spirit of wisdom is an insight that's not naturally attained. It's not normally handed down to you. It's not like some teacher taught you how to do it. God handed that down to you. You know what that spirit of wisdom is? That's his word, right? Then the spirit of revelation, the spirit of revelation, that's something that, 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 that can be defined as to glimpse a new dimension of God or to, to know things that were previously unknown. So when Paul says, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it means I pray that you would already have a relationship with God and that he would show you even more about his, about his character through, through that relationship. The, wisdom, uh, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation, right? Revelation can be defined as things previously unknown. This word literally means to turn on the lights. I don't want you to turn on the lights. Just turn on the lights to help you understand the way it should be, to uncover or to remove a veil. I want you to remember that, to uncover or remove a veil. Revelation is the supernatural communication of truth to the mind. Okay? When people throughout the Bible saw God or they encountered God, when they had a revelation of God-given insight, the consistent response was that they responded. That's the consistent outcome. They could have been emotionally impacted. You see in the, in the story of Gideon when he finally meets the angel of the Lord and when he realizes it's, it's Jesus, he says, I am doomed. I am, I'm, I'm gonna be destroyed. Or in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah sees, sees uh, the vision of, of, of the glory of God, and it says that the train of his robe filled the temple, and as you read through those verses, it says that he says, I am doomed, I am destroyed, I have just witnessed the glory of God. Physically, they could have bowed down or they fell on their face, like in, in, the, in the example of Moses, when Moses was at the burning bush, and God says, take the sandals off your feet, for the place you're standing on is what? Holy ground. And he bowed down. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision of God sitting on the throne. And Ezekiel 1 verse 28 says, All around him was a glowing halo like a, sh well, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is, what the Lord, the, uh, well, this is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell, what? Face down on the ground. And I heard someone's voice speaking to me. What an incredible reaction to people having a revelation of God's glory. And now I want to throw a bit of caution in there. Sometimes, sometimes we, as, as, as Western Christians, we, we're prone to redefining God into our own image. Modern worship has often fallen to a ditch of worshiping a God that we have designed to fit our lifestyles, a quote-unquote dumbed-down version of God it would be really, really necessary and beneficial for us to have a revelation that God is not our bro. God is not, uh, God is not my homeboy. 
God is not your co-pilot, like the sticker says on your car. In fact, God is your friend, a very friend and present, and present help in time of troubles. And in fact, he should be the pilot, not your co-pilot, right? A.W. Tozer says, left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. God is not manageable. He does not fit within the confines of our theology or our comprehension. He is bigger than, he is other than, God does not fit in a box. You know what, there's creatures standing around God's throne right now. There's four angels standing around God's throne right now. In Revelation 4, verse 8, they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And in verse 11, it says, the, the other creatures that are standing around the throne are singing, You are worthy, O Lord, our, our, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. He is not your homeboy. He's not our bro. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of Kings. He is the Lord's, Lord of Lords, and He's coming back soon. Amen? Amen? Let's go back to an example of worship as a response to Revelation. So, uh, you guys have heard the story of Peter. If you haven't, we're going to go through it really quickly. Peter, in Luke, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 5, Peter and his brothers are, are fishing in, in, in the Sea of Galilee, and, and they haven't caught anything all day. And then Jesus approaches, and he says, Hey, guess what, Peter? Why don't you let down your nets another time? And Peter says, All right. I don't know what this guy's thinking, but because you asked me, I'm going to let my nets down. And what happens? Anybody of you remember that story? He lets the nets down and suddenly there's an influx of fish. In fact, so many fish that the nets start to break and the boat starts to sink. In Luke 5 verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what has happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man, for he was awestruck. He had a revelation of Jesus Christ that brought a response. His worship was a response to revelation from God. Later on, Peter expresses what he experienced in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Remember we talked about that spirit of wisdom and revelation earlier? That is not something we learn from any other human being. That's an, that's an official godly download into your mind, into your brain. You are the Messiah, the son, of living, the son of the living God. Right there is a declaration in worship, a response to the revelation of who Jesus is. Peter was in Jesus' presence. He saw his mighty miracle of mercy in Peter's life. And Peter's only rational response was to bow down and worship him and to admit that Jesus was the son of the living God. Amen? So worship is our response to a revelation of God. Number two, worship is transformational. Did you know, did you know this? We become like the object of our worship. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that? Did you know that, that we become the object of our worship? 
huh, really intriguing. Let me, let me, let me uh, expound on it some, a little bit more. Um, so we find a pattern or key to worship in 2 Corinthians that's so important. It's the transforming power of beholding Jesus and of worshiping God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, it says, But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Remember we were talking about Revelation being defined as a veil being removed? Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, what does it say? The veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The veil of dead religion is being lifted. That is the revelation that God is giving us. In verse 17, in verse 17, it says, For we all, for we all, all of us, not just the cool kids, not just the extroverts, not just the people on the worship team or the prayer people, not just those guys. We all get to experience a revelation of Jesus. We all with unveiled faces. You know what that unveiled faces um, line in, refers to? It refers to Moses in Exodus 34 when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he carves out the Ten Commandments that God gives him. And when Moses comes back down, his face is so bright from experiencing the glory of God, from, from experiencing the presence of God, that guess what? The people have to say, hey, Moses, can you put a bag on it? Can you? Literally, they said, hey, Moses, can you put a lid on it? The glory of God is so bright that they could not even take it. They said, can you put a veil over your face? It's so bright. He came down from the presence of God, and his face was glowing from being in the presence of God. They did not want to be exposed to the glory of God. They preferred a veil. They couldn't look him into the face because they, they had a fear of death. But now we, we can all take that veil off. So it says, now we, we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Worship is transformational. As we behold, we become something new. A person who's being fashioned, changed. We are all being changed into the image of the one that we are worshiping. This starts with revelation. And as we worship, we behold and we are being changed. That word changed also means metamorphosis. You know what that, you know what that, that brings to mind? A picture of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly in the cocoon. As we behold him, we are being changed and transformed. You know, there's a downside to that truth as well, as we talked about earlier. We become like the objects we worship. What happens when somebody worships a celebrity? Have you ever, have you ever gone on Instagram or Twitter and you've, and, you, and you've seen somebody who wants to imitate their favorite celebrity? Often, they, they dress their hair in the same way. They might get some plastic surgery to maybe look like that celebrity. Uh, in the end, they end up looking like a really dim or a really unattractive version of that celebrity, but a reflection of that celebrity nonetheless. The things that we worship, we start to become like. 
If we draw near to God, by contrast, if we draw near to God, it says in James 4, 8, God will draw close to you. When you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. If we are drawing towards God, watch this. So if we're drawing towards God, then we're naturally gonna draw away from other things, right? It's, that's, that's science, people. We shift our focus from one thing and shift to God. We naturally move away from one thing and over to this guy. When people love money, and that is the driving force of their life, they begin to, get, they begin to reflect what? Selfishness, greed, materialism. In Psalm 135, verse 15, it says, the unbelieving nations worship what they make. They worship their wealth and their work. They idolize what they own and what they do. Their possessions will never satisfy. Their lifeless and futile works, their, life, uh, their, their lifeless and futile works cannot bring life to them. Their things cannot talk to them or answer their players, prayers. Blind men can only create blind things. Those deaf to God can only make a deaf image. Dead men can only create dead idols, and everyone who trusts in these powerless, dead things will be just like what they worship, powerless and dead. Those who make them will be just like them. The idea is here, the idea here again is you become what you worship. So as we worship Christ, we become more like him. It says in Psalm 95, uh, 97 verse five, the mountains melt like wax in the Lord's presence, in the presence of the Lord of all the earth. Our mountains melt like wax, right? Our fear melts away and we become faith-filled. In the presence of the Lord, our anxiety melts away and we begin to trust God. In the presence of the Lord, our sin melts away and we become holy just like he is holy. Point number three, transformational worship that we just talked about happens when we view, when we worship in the view of God's mercy. We worship as a response to redemption. Matt Redman, how many of you have heard of Matt Redman? He says, we cannot truly sing of what we have not seen. Worship is the reflex of a ransomed soul. In Romans 12:1, it says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, and intelligent act of worship. In view of God's mercy, that means what Jesus has done for us. Let me, let me give you a little bit of insight here. The, so the centerpiece of God's mercy is the cross, amen? Can we agree on that together? The centerpiece of God's mercy is the cross. Transformational worship happens when we worship in the light of Jesus' sacrifice for us, when we worship in view of the cross. That line, in view of God's mercy, that's that spirit of wisdom that we were talking about earlier in Ephesians 1.7. But see, for Paul, when he's writing this, he's already had that spirit of revelation going on because he says, in view of God's mercy. If he didn't have that revelation, he probably would have said something like, yes, yeah, so because Jesus died for us, it's our rational response to, to, uh, to offer our whole bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't say it like that. He says, in view of God's mercy. He's had the revelation already. He's saying... For God, so loved the, uh, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to the world to save the world and not to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. What he's saying is, Jesus died on the cross for us. He has done much for us. And we know this because this is in view of God's mercy. He's had that revelation already. So what he's saying is that is the logical response. But some of you are probably looking at me like, well, that, how does that apply to me? Have you ever been, have you ever heard somebody tell a really awesome story of you should have been there? Somebody hiking up the mountain of Wanaha Mount Wanahakalugi or something, and they're standing across this, this great valley, and they're saying, oh, you should have been there. There was like this, oh, there's this massive valley, and all you could see were mountains for, 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 for miles and miles, and then the sun came up, and they had their own personal revelation of what was going on in that, in that time. And you're sitting there going, I wish I'd been there. This is what Paul is saying. You should have been there. So instead of being, should have been there, we're, today, we're... so let me ask you a question. For a couple of minutes before Pastor Ryan comes up here, for a couple of minutes, can we just close our, close our eyes? Let me ask you a question. If it wasn't for God's mercy, where would you be right now? This question was asked on the Love City Church Facebook page, and this was a couple of the responses. If it wasn't for God's mercy, where would you be right now? One of the responses was overwhelmed by addiction depressed and stuck in anger. The freedom and joy that I've experienced these last six years has been so life-changing. One of the other responses was, I would literally be dead. If it wasn't for God's mercy, where would you be? Somewhere broken and addicted, filled with anxiety, a drug addict, in prison, deep depression, the very consideration of the mercy of God in our life brings gratitude. It brings back a revelation. That's what we're stirring up in our souls right now. As you think about the ways that God was there for you, you're bringing in gratitude and you're allowing revelation to come in so that we can respond to him in the way that he is worthy of. Amen? Paul says this is your logical rational, intelligent, reasonable act of worship. That's an over-embellishment that he's saying. Guys, there's literally no other way to respond when you have the revelation of what God does in your life. There's no other reason to respond, no other, no other way we should respond, but to offer everything that we have to him as an act of worship. Amen? Come on, let's just keep going here. So there's the difference between worship and praise. Worship, God initiates worship and you respond. When Peter had a revelation that he was on a boat with God, he fell on his hands and knees and said, I'm a sinner, leave me. He was awestruck. So these moments in worship when you have this awareness of God and how big God is and you just think, oh man, all I can do is pray or worship God. All I can do is honor him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Praise, we initiate praise and God responds. And that's a difference. There's a personal responsibility in praise. All throughout scripture, we see that, that there is a, there's a personal initiative. All throughout scripture, we see that praise is something that is a personal initiative on our part. It's mentioned 32 times, I will praise in the Old Testament. And 27 of those times are in the, in the book of Psalms. Look at this verse, famous verse that we all know very well in Psalms 42, 11. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I love this verse because of its humanity. I love this verse because David, who is a man after God's heart, 
a man who was considered to fulfill his purpose in his generation had a moment where his soul was so disturbed and his, he was so frustrated with life and his marriage was not going very well and his finances were in disarray and he was feeling anxious and depressed and discouraged. He said, soul, why are you acting like this? I love the humanity and the reality of this verse. It might just make you feel a little bit normal this morning. And he's saying here, I don't understand why I feel the way that I feel. Now, I know that our natural response is not to praise the Lord. Some of your natural response is to go get a bag of Doritos and sit in front of some Netflix show and just pound it out tonight. Some of your, some of your way you handle your, you know, you process your pain of emotion is you wrap yourself in a blanket and shut the lights off and, and just go to sleep. And some of you drink and some of you look at pornography and some of you go spend money and some of you go and try to control the situation and some of you work more and whatever it is that you do to try to process your reality in your world and in your life. Listen, we all have different ways of doing it. Now there's some unhealthy things that you shouldn't do, but hey, having a bag of chips watching Netflix, that's okay. <laughs> so while you're processing this emotion you're feeling, praise God. While you're feeling like, man, I'm not doing very good and I'm feeling down and out, I'm feeling discouraged and I don't know what to do. Uh, listen, you might need to eat a bag of chips, eat that bag of chips and then worship and praise God. This last week I had, I wrote about this. We started a new blog in our church that our, uh, kind of our team's contributing to it. I wrote one on anxiety and I, I struggle with anxiety in my life. Last week, I had an anxiety attack, if I can call it that. I was so overwhelmed with emotion, guys. I didn't even know how to get out of it. Honestly, I just came to a point where I just said, God, I don't know what to do. I feel so overwhelmed by the anxiety that I'm feeling right now. I feel like I can't control the situation. And honestly, I, I, I wrote about this, but I, I, I got a journal and I wrote it down and I identified what the 12 things and 12 people, just kidding, the 12 things and, and that were just causing me anxiety. It was a couple of people, but that's okay. Lord bless you. I prayed for you and uh, down to 12. And I thought, okay, God, there it is. And finally, I just felt like, okay, I did that. What do I do now? And honestly, the Lord spoke to me and said, Ryan, you're teaching the church on praise. Why don't you pray? And I said, God, I don't really want to. I don't really feel it right now. I'm not feeling the emotions. And in fact, God, I'm about to say some words out loud that I even have a hard time believing sometimes. Sometimes I have a hard time believing that your promises are true. And sometimes I have a hard time believing that you're going to cause something good to come out of this situation. And sometimes I have a hard time trying to understand, God, why things happen the way they happen. And as I begin to kind of vent to God, a little being a little bit of a whiner to God, all of a sudden I just felt my mouth start to mutter, God, you're good. God, you're faithful. God, you're awesome. God, I know that I don't have any power in this situation, but God, you have all the power and you have all the control. And I found myself in the bathroom while I was shaving, half done. My daughter came in the room looking at me and I was singing, God, you're awesome. God, I love you Lord Jesus holy is your name oh God you are great God I, when I feel out of control you're in control God when my emotions feel me to the point that I don't know what to do God I know God I will praise you Lord soul you will praise my God my mind you will praise my God heart you will praise my God and all of a sudden I found myself clawing my way out of this ditch I was in it's because something happens when you cause your natural words, something supernatural combines with that word. Look what the scripture says. I shared this before, but Psalms 22, three. Yet you are holy, God, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned means to move into permanently. 
It means to inhabit, to dwell. And that word praises is the word tehila, which means a so literally means a song of praise, of adoration unto God. So when your natural song of adoration to God comes out of your mouth, the supernatural creator, all-powerful God comes down into your situation. So when you take a natural thing and combine it with a supernatural thing, something significant happens in your life. There's a story. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. David had just become the king of Israel. And in this story, it says here, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. And David was told, they were coming and so he went into the stronghold and the Philistines arrived and spread out all across the valley of Rephaim. Now the Philistines uh, are a type or a picture or a symbol of a supernatural enemy. So for those of you who read your Bible, whenever you're reading the Bible in the Old Testament and you read about the Philistines, the Philistines were trying to stop David from fulfilling his destiny. The Philistines were trying to stop David from accomplishing all that he had for his life. The Philistines were trying to stop David at any cost to get him from accomplishing everything that God had planned for him. And so here we see that the Philistines, the enemy, the, the enemy found out that David was seeing progress in his life. And so they mounted attack against David. Now you have to understand something about your life. We have a supernatural battle at stake. You might think that the natural thing that you're facing right now, the, I, I realize this, every time my wife and I fight like dogs, it's not just us, it's the devil. Every time I look at my finances, I don't know what's going to happen or how God's going to do this or what's going to happen. I start to doubt. I really, that, that's a, an, an enemy attack. Whenever I have someone in, in my life who, who's speaking ill of me or, 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 or things that aren't even true or spreading rumors, I think, man, that's, that's just not God. That just must be the enemy trying to stop me. And we have to understand something about our lives, that there is an enemy who's out to get us. Look at this, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Look at this in 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Look at this verse, Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the wickedness and against the evil in the heavenly places. You have to understand something today, that in our natural world, if you don't recognize there was a battle going on, you will lose the battle. There's two equations. You either win or you lose. There's no neutral ground. You either win in your mind or you lose in your mind. You either win in your, your body or you lose in your body. You either win or you lose. There's no neutral ground. So if you're only living in a natural world, not realizing there is a supernatural world going around and that you have been given a spiritual weapon to attack the spiritual enemy that's trying to stop you from fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 10. Look what it says. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively demolish strongholds. Now let's go back to our story with David. So David has all these enemies coming out. He says, God, what do I do? He says, I want you to go out and attack them. And David did, he went out and attacked them. And God actually pushed back the Philistine army. And then the Philistine army came back again. 
Just because you beat your battle doesn't mean the devil's not going to come back again. The, the Philistines came back again. And God, David said, what do we do? Should I go right at him? He goes, no, no, no. I want you to go around the back this time and I want you to route them from behind because look what happened. Look what God said in this verse. He said, instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you, look at this, hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down your enemy. That means there is a supernatural marching going on in the atmosphere among the trees of your battle. You're looking at your situation saying, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And here God is saying, it's because it's a supernatural battle that you're in. There is a raging war for your soul. There is a raging war for your mind. There is a raging war for your emotions and your thinking. There is a war at trying to stop you from being all that God wants you to be. A spiritual battle that is much more real than your natural battle. And here the scripture identifies that David was trying to take down this enemy as they were trying to attack his soul. And God said, I want you to listen. Up in the trees, the spiritual realm is beginning to stir. Stay alert because that will be the sign that I'm about to move against your enemy on your behalf. Now, as we end our, our time here, I want to end on one last story. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. There's a, a king named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was leading the people of Israel, the, the people of God, the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that this nation of Israel was facing a, a major enemy. Many nations from different areas decided to mount an attack against the people of God. And it says in the Bible that there was a vast army, say vast army. This vast army was so numerous that when you looked out from the palace across the land, it said that there was camels as many as the sands on the seashore. There's a Netflix uh, documentary out right now. Have you guys ever seen the documentary Planet Earth? Well, there was like a making of Planet Earth. And one of them, there's walruses, had come to the land because of global warming. <laughs> I don't quote that as a disrespect for those who are for global warming. I don't know what I think on this. So anyways, whoop, it's like stepping in a pile of poo right there. Whoops, I'll clean that up later. Anyways, there's a bunch of walruses on this land. And I mean, as far as you can see are these walruses. Just as far as you can see, it was fascinating and overwhelming to think about all how all these huge animals get on this land and all these camels as they looked across the array of the vast army. They saw all of these camels and these men and these chariots and these warriors. And King Jehoshaphat called all the church together, the people of Israel, and said, everybody, we need to fast because, man, the enemy's trying to attack us and the enemy's trying to take you out. He's trying to take your marriage out. He's trying to take your mindset out about how the church should go. And he's trying to take your mindset out about what it means to be a part of the local church. And he's trying to take your marriage out. He's trying to take your finances out. He's trying to take your purity out, young man. He's trying to take your life out, young woman. He's trying to make you look yourself in the mirror and think, oh, I'm not that great. And I made too many mistakes. The enemy is mounting attack and it's a vast army against the people of God. Look what King Jehoshaphat says in this verse. It's an amazing scripture. Look what he says. Listen, all you people of Judah. 
Sorry, it says, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. How many have ever felt that way in their life? I feel powerless to overcome my anxiety sometimes. I don't know if you've ever struggled with it, but it, it comes to a point where I feel like it's here and I just, I can't see past it. And I get so overwhelmed sometimes with that emotion. And I'm just being really raw with you. I get so overwhelmed with the emotion sometimes that I don't see anything good in front of me other than my failures. That's all I can see. And in those moments when I feel powerless and I don't know what to do, when my wife and I are at odds and sometimes we get there where it's like, God, I don't know what to do. When I look at my bank account and I got a thousand bucks in the bank account and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? When there's stuff going on in the church and I want to help and be there and help bring change and I say, I just don't know what to do. I know you've been here before where you feel powerless. You say, God, I don't know where to go or what to do. And a young man named Jahaziel, he was a descendant of Asaph who wrote a good chunk of Psalms. And Asaph, Jahaziel, he, he came, he's a worship leader, just like James. And he came to the, to, to the king and said, I got a word from God. And look what he said. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. I want you to hear it. It's a prophetic word for you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours. For the battle is God's. You won't even need to fight. Take your positions. Get battle ready. Stop letting the devil kick you around. Stop allowing the enemy to cause havoc on your brain. Stop allowing the enemy to take advancements in your marriage. Stop letting him do that. Put your battle garments on. Take your positions, but you won't even have to lift a finger. Get yourself ready. Look what he says. And then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So King Jehoshaphat gathered all of his people together. He had them fast, which wasn't a great battle plan before going to battle, but whatever. They're all going out to battle here. They are hungry and thirsty. They've been fasting, seeking God. They got a word from the worship leader, the Jehaziel, saying, go for it. They mount themselves, and it says in the scripture that early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in the prophets, and you will succeed. And after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Terrible plan. I want you to get in front of the chariots. I want you to get in front of the archers. I want you to get in front of the people with the shields who the guy was a face paint and you know the ones that are yelling, Freedom! You know, I want you to get in front of those guys. And all I want you to do is sing. Look what he says. I want the singers to walk ahead of the army, and the word singing, they are singing to the Lord. They are yadaing. That means to worship with extended hands. 
And it says, I want them to sing to the Lord and praise Him, halal, which means worship, that I don't care about the person next to me. It says, so I want them to worship with their hands lifted high, and I want them to not give a, a rat's rear end uh, about the person next to them. And I want them to lift their hands and begin to worship for God's holy splendor. And I want them to say, give thanks to the Lord for His mercy endure forever. Behind me is a guy with a stinking AK-47 and I'm in front of him saying, oh, praise the Lord. God is good. My God is a faithful God. I know that I'm out here by myself. I don't got a sword. I don't got a weapon. I don't have a shield. I'm just dressed like a normal folks. But guess what? I got a song in my heart and I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to praise God. You are faithful, God. In the sight of this divorce, you're faithful. In the sight of this marriage, you're faithful. God, you are a good God. God, you are a faithful God. Your love endures forever. I don't care what anybody thinks about me, God. I worship you, Lord. Your name is high and lifted up, oh God. I worship you, God. Come on, in the atmosphere of God, I lift my voice and say, yes, Lord. Your name is above every name, above every challenge, above every difficulty. Oh, we're not done yet. Look what happens next. <laughs> Look at this. At that very moment, they begin to sing and give praise. The moment the people chose to give a praise to God, God responded to the people. Look what it says in the scripture. At the very moment they begin to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. And they killed every one of them. Look what the scripture says. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness. All they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one, say single one. Not a single one of the enemies had escaped. Every one of them was destroyed. And all they did was put their hands in the air. They brought a Yadah. And they said, I don't care what anybody thinks about me in here. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care what you think about me. I only care about what my God thinks about me. And my marriage is in shambles and my finances are, are ruined. And man, I got addiction in my life and I can't get through this anxiety and this depression, but I'm gonna choose to bring praise to God because the guy said that if I praise God with all my heart, that God will respond and come into my situation and something begin to change. And little by little, the enemy of my life begin to get slayed and destroyed and taken out and denied and brutalized. And the enemy was completely decimated all because I lifted my hands and saying worship unto the Lord your love endures forever God you are holy Lord Jesus you are worthy God now our last verse it's in Chronicles 20 26 on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord and this is why it's called the valley of Baraka to this day they named it the valley of blessing what the enemy intended for your destruction the Lord turns to a blessing what the enemy intended for death and sickness and debt and bankruptcy and difficulty, what the enemy had a plan for your life, we get to look at that same battlefield and say, guess what? This is the blessing of the Lord. God works all things to good to those who love him. My battle is now my victory. My difficulty is now my strength. My thing that was dead is now alive. My depression is now hope. My, my discouragement is now praise. Come on, do you see how this works? That praise is a decision you make and God responds. And when God responds, guess what happens? You respond in worship. 
When you choose to praise, God comes down. When God comes down, you lift worship. You see it? Oh, man, God, you're a holy God. I don't know what's going to happen. God comes down, chases away your enemies, and oh, God's here, and you begin to worship. Do you see how this works? Oh, you call God down in your bathroom, and you got to shave half your face off, and you're dealing with anxiety. Say, God, you're a good God. God comes down, and I begin to worship. This is how this works, guys. That when you choose consciously to praise God, He comes down, and when He comes down, it causes you to worship with adoration and awe this morning. Come on, stand to your feet. When every week we end with two questions. First question here today is just you're experiencing a battle in your life. Say, Ryan, I've been where you've been, where you feel powerless and you need help and, and I, don't, I don't know what to do. If you're here today, I just want to pray with you. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you forward. We will create space for prayer at the end of the service, but you're here today. Say, Ryan, I'm in a situation right now. I just need some prayer. I want to pray for you. Come on, would you place your hand in the air on the count of three if that's you today? One, two, three. Come on, you're facing a situation in your life right now, and we can pray for you today. Come on, all across the room. Praise the Lord. Father, we just pray for these people right now. Lord, I pray that they would begin to hear the sound of marching on the poplar trees. The God that, that you're involved. And there are no accidents in the kingdom of God. And Lord, the situation they're facing right now, Father, might be above their head, above their pay grade. They might feel powerless. They might feel out of touch with what's going on. Lord, I believe even right now that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come that they might know you better. I pray right now, God, that this message today, as they leave this place, that they would go knowing that they've been given a spiritual weapon. They've been given a tactic against the enemy to raise their voice and acknowledge that our God is a great God. And no matter any situation we face, our God can do it, and he promised that he will. So, Father, we believe right now for those people in the room, God, who are facing a dire situation, a difficulty in their life. We pray for wisdom. We pray for grace. We pray for peace. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, last question here today. Come on, every eye closed. You're here today, you say, Ryan, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ, and I would like to be one today. You might say, I don't know what that means, or I don't know what that looks like. I don't really know half of what you're saying today, but I would like to start a journey with this, this God named Jesus Christ. You're here today and you say, Ryan, I want to give my life to him. I, I don't know what that means, but I'd like to start a journey, a conversation of what that means, what that looks like today. We want to help you get on the journey towards, towards understanding who this God is who created you, who loves you, who has a purpose for your life. We know him and his name is Jesus Christ. You're here today, and you, you say, Ryan, I would like to start that journey today. Come on, every eye closed. I'm going to count to three. And if you'd like to respond today, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I have one person who wants to come and speak to you, and I want to meet you after the service and talk to you about that. Come on, on the count of three, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. One, two, three. Come on, anybody in the room want to give their life to Christ today? Anyone today want to give their life to Jesus today? Amen. 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 Come on, church, would you repeat after me today as we say this prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, come on, say it with me loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I feel your presence today. I want to know you. I want to experience you. Will you come and change my life? I want to go on a journey with you today to know you better to understand myself more. Would you forgive me of every sin in my life? 
Today, I acknowledge that Jesus, you are God. And I give my life to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody said, amen. Come on. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.